Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. This week, we visit with Richard Boatwright, who's a head trainer of the Creek Plantation in South Carolina. In this episode, we peel back the layers of Richard's rich experience developing some of the greatest ranch horses for one of the greatest outfits the United States has to offer. A huge thank you is deserved to the folks at 310 Ranch Life for putting us in contact with Mr. Boatwright. To learn more about Richard, you can visit his Instagram at Richard underscore Boatwright or follow on Facebook under Richard Boatwright. As always, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Creek Plantation head trainer, Mr. Richard Boatwright. Wow, Jason. Uh, you know, we've got, uh, we've got new babies. We've got new two-year-olds going under saddle. We've got yearlings. We've got grass growing and cutting hay and, and uh, praying for a little rain right now. We've got plenty of dust. Uh, you name it. I mean, what are you looking for? We got it. <laughs> so let's do this actually, because I do want to touch on the plantation and what you guys run, uh-huh. right. As far as an operation out there, but yeah. let's start with, let's start with your history. Um, and we're going to get right into it. Let's start with your history and horses and, and how yeah. the Western life came to be. Um, we'll start with some of those early moments in life. What were your first draws to the horse and horsemanship? Okay. And, uh, we'll work our way through life to where we stand today. All right. So, uh, I was born in a little town called Okeechobee, Florida, which is, which is sort of South Central Florida. Uh, it's bordered on, bordered on the South by, by Lake Okeechobee. And then to the Northeast and West, Okeechobee is surrounded basically by swamps, orange groves and cow pastures. Uh, it's a fairly isolated place. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of cattle and a lot of agriculture going on down there. And I grew up sort of, uh, in that culture. Uh, my dad was a day working cowboy. He worked for a lot of the big outfits around there and he was always bringing us home stock to ride and to mess with and, and that sort of thing. So we always had something to sit on that had hair on it, you know, and, <laughs> and our, our summers were spent, you know, horseback and going fishing in the creeks and, and just, you know, living country lifestyle for rural kids. Uh, mm-hmm. we, dad was a fairly creative guy and he liked to have a good time. And so he would bring us home, I don't know, you know, goats and calves and sheep and all sorts of things. And we'd, we'd hold little rodeos at the house, uh, which sometimes went well, sometimes they didn't, but it's experimental. Uh, we, that's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. We always had a good time. Uh, there was always something exciting going on. It seemed like, and, uh, and that was it. You know, we, we, uh, we were very fairly simple living folks. Uh, we didn't live too far from town. So, so it wasn't like, you know, um, it wasn't like we were too, you know, we weren't all that rural. We would go to the, to the walk-in drive. We had the walk-in and we had the drive-in when yeah. I was a kid, yeah. you know, you, you went to the drive-in most of the time, but sometimes it was real special. We got to go to the walk-in. Uh, but you know, that was, that was what our lives were like. It was fairly simple and, but it was good. It was really good. 
Yeah. Um, so I went to Okeechobee recently and it really hasn't changed all that much. Uh, I left when I was about 14 or 15 years old and, but, uh, it's pretty much exactly the way I remember it. Well, I was going to say, what an incredible opportunity, right? Growing up and, and it's, it's great for me as a host to talk to so many different people because I mean, I have guests that run the gamut, right? They didn't see horses till later in life. They were born into right. horse families and, and there's always the draw of the horse, right? In, in one experience or another that, that calls us to it, right? So for you, kind of growing up in a, in a, an environment where the horse was a necessity, right? Cowboying was a necessity. What for you was, was the draw to the horse? What was the attraction for you to stick with it and, and maybe not venture out and try, try other things in life? Well, you know, um, when I was really young, I looked up to my dad a lot, uh, as most young men do, you know, especially, especially in the cowboy culture. And I'm sure that it's the same for, for most kids, but, uh, but my dad was my idol and, uh, and I saw him as a cowboy and a horseman, among other things. Um, but I really wanted to just be dad. I mean, that's all there was mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I did, there were times in my life when I strayed away from, from the lifestyle. In fact, uh, I went through a little period there in my late teens where there was nothing that I wanted more than to be a professional skateboarder. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I, I took it pretty far, uh, had some sponsors and, and, uh, and did quite a bit with them. Met a lot of really neat guys. In fact, I have some friends now that are that are truly legends in the industry, and, and they they made millions. Really, uh, with skateboarding, yeah, yeah. But but ultimately, you know, the the call of of horses, and I, I really can't. There's no way that, and I don't know if anyone could explain to you why they're drawn to horse mm-hmm. flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a it's just something that's internal, and it's it's uh, you know. Particularly for me, I couldn't get away from it if I wanted to. Uh, and there are some days that I do want to, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had those you know? moments, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when it's when it's 100 degrees outside and, and uh, you know, and you're, you've already sweat through your clothes a couple of times and, and you've still got a ton of work to do, you just would really love to be able to put it down. But but you can't. You know, I go to bed at night thinking about it and I wake up in the morning thinking about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, but that's it for me. I, you know, it, it certainly started with my dad and it must be a genetic thing. Um, but you know, horses, horses, exposure to horses are, uh, it's a great way to heal things in your life. You know, if you, if you, um, all of us have things that go wrong in our lives at particular times and it's just a great way to, uh, to even things out, Yeah, you know? Yeah. To to bring you down emotionally and to sort of center you and to keep things flowing in what feels like a natural direction, particularly when you get distracted by the distractions of life. Horses are just a, they seem to be a very, uh, they seem to bring healing to folks. Am I wrong there? No, you're, you're dead on. And that's the absolute foundation of this show, right? Is it uh, yeah. through my own challenges in life, uh, I yeah. found myself quite broken. And I got yeah. back into horses because it's what I did when I was young. It's what I did with my grandfather. There were just some awesome, awesome experiences that I could reflect on. And I said, heck, let me get back into this horse deal. And it wasn't until I, I really started to, by nature, I'm the kind of person, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to learn every single thing I can inside and out about whatever the given topic is. And and it was no different with horses, right? Yeah. Um, 
let me see if I can learn every single thing I can learn about the horse, how they communicate, how they act, how they walk, talk, eat, sleep, everything. All of a sudden you get those light bulb moments working with the horse like, gosh, what we just accomplished here, that directly relates to what I'm going through in life. And what I just did with this horse, why don't I, I, like, I don't even give myself the forgiveness or the chance. And, uh, and then the more you start to venture out in the horse world and you ride with people from all over, you know, in my case, all over the country, um, you start to see that that's a common theme, right? And the conversation started between me and some of my mentors is, you know, how do we, how do we make this mainstream? How do we make this more than just the marketable word of natural horsemanship? Yeah. I, I don't think it's natural horsemanship. I think it's just how business should be done. That's yeah, just how yeah. you conduct business around a horse. But the incredible benefits that the human can have in understanding the horse, uh, you're right. It's it's hard to explain, but I'll tell you what, it, it works through and through, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I think we may have hit on something here because I'm I'm recalling now a lot of things that I've I've read over the years. I, I love to read about the old West and the trail drives. Mm-hmm. I love to read anything really, mm-hmm. but I'm particularly drawn to those sorts of things and especially, um, firsthand accounts. And, you know, a lot of the guys that, uh, that started out on those trail drives out of Texas headed North, they had a lot of really, really serious problems that they were trying to run away from. And, you know, maybe we've hit on something there. Maybe that's what the basis of this entire Western sort of culture is, is based around is uh is getting horseback and forgetting all about it yeah you know? yeah uh, i think uh, it's true like right everybody copes with tragedy stress whatever in different ways right for some people yeah. they have a- anxiety depression anger drinking whatever right there, there's plenty of unhealthy options out there yeah. i personally think in my experience in this this small piece of earth that i own the horse is just that in a healthy format and the horse is a far less threatening road to recovery than you're an alcoholic and hey we got to start going to meetings right sure or you got to kick the bottle or you can't go to the bar you can't associate with those friends no more Um, all of that stuff is for the better right all that stuff is great progression but it doesn't carry the stigma of having to go to the alcoholic meetings or you know what? Sure. I got to go see the psychologist or I got to see the psychiatrist. And in, in some cases with mental health, absolutely there is a clinical aspect to it. But I have found that, man, the horse can teach us some really incredible things about yourself that A, you didn't even know existed or B, maybe you didn't even want to challenge. Yeah. But the horse yeah. can instill that confidence and ability in you and do it at such a pace that you can you can digest it, you can understand, you can absorb. You don't just blow right through it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and there's probably a lot of healing going on there, there that we don't even realize. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, we really hit on something there. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's I guess you know when you get down to it, and that could be the that could you know if we really dug down deep, that could be the primary draw for most horse folks. Yeah. You know, maybe really at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's a you know it's a way of coping with with. Uh, everything from serious, serious traumatic events in their lives to just the everyday stress. Yeah. Balance you know? of life. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 But, so to, how did your horsemanship career, how did the progression take place? Like who are some of maybe your early influences to where, you know, you're going to spend, you're going to spend long days in the saddle and you can yeah. do it fighting a horse or you could do it getting along with a horse and, and yeah. get many, many strides down the trail, uh, far more successfully 
Um, so what yeah. were some of your early influences or maybe early experiences that shaped that approach to working with horses? Well, you know, I told you about my dad. Uh, mm-hmm. Dad was, dad was, you know, most of the memories that I have of him when I was a kid was seeing him horseback. And, and dad, of course, like a lot of other guys had his own ideas that were pro- probably wouldn't jive, you know, with the way that we see horsemanship today. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about in the sixties and seventies yeah. and, and they used a lot of mechanical devices and sharp spurs and those sorts of things. And, and, uh, and I sort of grew up thinking that, well, if a horse didn't have his head in the air and was trying to run off with you and that sort of thing, well, he just didn't have any fire in his belly and he probably wasn't a good mount, mm-hmm. you know, and I have a, I, I have a completely different, I was a kid. Um, and I was, I was, enamored with the with the the uh the image of the cowboy that my dad was so so fast forward several years and i started getting out into the industry and i started to have to make my living riding horses and i started to learn that those sorts of horses are not the ones that you want to sit on all day and they're certainly not the ones that sell for a decent amount of money. And, a, and if a customer sends you a horse, you don't want to send it back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, looking the way that my dad's horses looked. <clears throat> so I started searching just like everybody, I guess. Uh, Richie Roberts, the fellow that I worked for here at Creek Plantation when I first got my start, he had a huge influence on me. Uh, he was an amazing horseman, still is. And he, uh, Richie was sort of a throwback. Um, to the old days, but he was a mixture of uh, an extremely talented horseman with a lot of natural abilities uh, and, a, and an outstanding performance horse trainer. Um, and I think, unfortunately, in, in our industry today, a lot of times people want to delineate between natural horsemen and performance horse trainers. Sometimes, you know, in other words, it's a, it's not, it's almost like you can't say the two in the same sentence, yeah, but one can't be the other. Of, right. But most of the guys that are in the performance horse industry are really, truly natural horsemen, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and are very talented guys when it comes to that. So, um, not in the clinician sort of sense, but just in the everyday, you know, getting along with a horse and getting the most out of it, keeping the horse healthy mentally and, and, and physically, these guys yeah. are just really good. So, so Richie sort of, uh, initiated me into that world. And then, and then as I, after I left Creek for the first time, I'm on my second, my second tour of duty here at Creek Plantation, if you will. <laughs> it, uh, I, I got my start here riding two year olds about, uh, let's see, it was about 20 years ago now. And, um, and then when I left, it got to be where financially just couldn't afford to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. We were just basically going broke. My wife and I, I got married here and, and uh, I had two little girls. And so we, we ventured out on our own and I sort of hung out my shingle and, and went to training for the public. And I found out pretty quick there that there was a lot more to learn, uh, you know, when in dealing with the clients and dealing with people's, you know, individual horses versus riding for one big ranch and, um, all of the other aspects to running a, a horse based business. So I had to look in other areas for that too. And I went to work for some other trainers on the side and I did a lot of construction work and that sort of thing to pay the bills back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
uh, a lot of I watched a lot of RFD TV back then. Yeah. On on you know on Sunday afternoons I would sit down and we had the uh, back then we had the DVR. You know, you remember? Yeah, I don't know yeah, if folks still yeah. have that, but but <laughs> yeah. I would record stuff on the DVR and then I would sit down on Sunday Sunday evenings and and watch as many of those programs, Clinton Anderson and and Chris Cox primarily. And I would pick up what I could from those guys. And not everything that they had to offer was applicable for what I was doing. But the philosophies, when you start to open your mind to to different philosophies and you see the way that people do things in, the, in different parts of the world, then it just changes your way of thinking so that you get better, regardless of whether you use their techniques. Yeah. You get better just by association, by just because it, you start to think, wow, maybe I'm not doing what I'm doing exactly the right way, or maybe I'm not even looking for the right thing. Yeah. Um, and so all of those things help to, to shape, to shape the way that I, the way that I handle and, and just the way that I am around animals in general, not even horses and people too. I mean, you know, it changes everything about you. Um, so, you know, if you, if you go from there, I had a, I, I ended up when the, when the, uh, the recession hit in 2000 and I guess it was around 2007 or so. I mean, I, they probably have an official date for it, but for me, I started seeing things go, going south in 2007 and uh, 2008 got pretty bad. And shortly thereafter, I got a job offer out, uh, in a little town called Buffalo, Wyoming to manage a cow outfit out there. And so the family and I just, we just packed up and we, we went from, we were living in Morgan County, Georgia at the time, which is very close to my wife's hometown. And, uh, I had a little horse operation. We, I built a house and a barn and, and had a great little business going and it sort of just dried up overnight. So, and it's definitely a God thing. I mean, there's no question about it. You know, we just, I got a phone call one day and it was a friend of mine that lived out there that I'd done some horse trading with. And he said, man, I know this guy that's looking for a manager for the ranch. He's currently managing. He's leaving to go back to Texas. And the fellow that owns the ranch said, you find your replacement. So it was, they pick up the phone, they call me and they offer me this job. So we just moved out there. That's crazy. Just out of the blue. It was, it was the craziest thing. I mean, you know, at the time I didn't see it, you know, and we really didn't have much choice. I mean, things were getting really bad. I know they were for a lot of other folks too. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so we throw what we can fit into a big U-Haul. And, uh, my wife was, at, we had a, we had a one year old boy and my wife was, was, uh, she was six months pregnant when we moved five or six months. And so we get out there and, um, and, you know, it was just the craziest thing. The whole experience was insane, but. But one of the most significant things besides my, my, my youngest daughter being born, uh, under crazy circumstances, we had, we had, we'd graze cattle up there in the high country. We'd send them up into the national forest for the summer. We'd take them up about July 4th and bring them down around the 1st of October. And they would spend the summer up there, you know, grazing on national forest ground. And, uh, we had a neighbor there that, that, did not have a particularly great rep, uh, uh, relationship with the owner of my ranch over the years. And so, but he, he was directly between us and the national forest lease. 
Great. So in order to tra- in order to, <laughs> to to bring these cattle down, you know, we would always have to take them right up the four lane highway, literally up oh, the paved four lane highway to get them up there, and then bring them back down the paved highway to get them home, going around his ranch, right? So I spent a lot of time mending this relationship and making friends with the manager of the ranch that was there at the time. And when the time came, I just went to him and said, "Man, you know, would you mind if we?" trail our cattle across your ground to get them home and he said i don't know let me go talk to the boss he goes and talks to the boss comes back and says yep it's okay as long as you don't leave them there overnight okay great no problem we could do that so yep so we go up there uh and we gather everything up we get it thrown into one trap one day we go up the next day and we start them out on the trail and it's 400 cow calf pairs and there's about there's about 10 of us uh horseback and several of us were young kids including my my daughter, which was about, she was about nine at the time. And we trail them out and we get them going and we hit, we hit some pretty rough country up in there. It was, uh, the pines were really thick and it's really steep country. The trails were, were adequate, but not great. And about four o'clock that afternoon, it started to become pretty evident that we weren't going to make it home. Oh, geez. And the cattle just started quitting on us. And, uh, and this was just completely my inexperience. Now I'm from, I'm from Florida, you know, (laughs) the only, the only hills we have down there are overpasses, you know, (laughs) know, that's that's right. Yeah. Plenty of hills. But, uh, you know, so of course I had a couple of guys with me that were pretty experienced and they were, they were confused by this. They really didn't know what the heck was going on. So anyway, got really bad, started getting dark. We ended up having to abandon these cattle up there in, in wide open country, no fences anywhere. You know, we're up in the Bighorn mountains, uh, with no fences anywhere. And it was dark. There was nothing we could do. We just had to leave them there overnight and go home. And, and our horses were just completely rode into the ground. And one of them had to go, we had to put her on fluids and, and give her some banamine and things. It was just crazy. So, so the next day we all get fresh horses. We go up there the next day and the next day we make it onto the neighbor's ranch. Okay. And the same thing happened to us oh, again. No. Okay. These cattle just quit yeah. and give up and, and there's just no moving them. And that time we had to abandon them on the ranch inside their fences. Thank goodness. I was, I was actually relieved. I knew that there was going to be some, <laughs> you know, some, yeah. I was going to get an earful about this, but at least they were inside fences and they had water, you know? So, so we get them. I talked to the manager and, and, uh, he balls me out. I said, look, there's just nothing I can do about it, you know? And, and so finally he comes down and he says, okay, I understand. Just, it's cool. We'll shut all the gates. We'll leave them there overnight. Pick them up the next morning. Within an hour, we crested one little ridge. The cattle see the home ranch and they just string out at a high trot. It's Every on. single one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I've got pictures of it. I took pictures of my phone because I couldn't believe it. That was the most relieved I'd ever been in my life. I think to see those cattle strung out. Happen, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Headed on for the home ranch. Well, I say that's a, that's a long, crazy story, but the frustration and the, the anxiety and everything that was associated with that, it was just, you know, I'm sure I got half the gray hair that I have right now happened <laughs> in those three days. But, but <laughs> there was, we had a neighbor there <clears throat> Some real super nice lady. She comes to me shortly thereafter and she gave me two VHS tapes. Uh, they were, one was a, was a genuine tape recorded of a Bud Williams, um, clinic. I don't know if you know who Bud Williams mm-hmm. is, but 
Uh, it was a Bud Williams clinic, and the other one was bootleg version of the same clinic. <laughs> and so, so you know, I and it took me several months to 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 come up with a VCR. But I put those tapes in the VCR, and I watch them. And I remember just sitting there with my with my jaw dropped open, watching this and absorbing this information. And I watched it, and then I watched it again, and then I watched it again. And the next day, I picked it up and I watched it again. And I don't know how many times I watched it, but it. It, uh, that combined, Bud Williams combined with the stuff that I had seen on RFD TV all those years and working with Richie Roberts and working with these other performance horse trainer, trainers are what, you know, made me who I am now, not to mention, and, and I really should have started this conversation with this statement, but the horses that I've been blessed to encounter over the course of my career, uh, the variety of horses and the quality of horses, uh, both good and bad have, that's, that's what have made me what I am today for better or for worse. It, the horse is such, <laughs> no, I get it. I get it through yeah. and through. Cause I've experienced the same exact thing. And, uh, the horse that I own, right. I was told this mm. is going to get you to the next level. This is what you need to do. Uh, I was pursuing team roping a little bit at that time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the first thing about a horse at all. I was just yeah. getting back into this venture myself. And uh, I, I know like a fraction of a hair more now, you know, these few years later. But right. being a being a former athlete, understanding teamwork, understanding what drive, motivation is, I didn't feel that in the horse at all. Uh, I right. felt that the horse was frantic. The horse performed because it was afraid. Uh, yeah. And that's when I said, you know what, something's got to change. And yeah. I started to do some of my early digging into horsemanship myself. And I went to the Western States Horse Expo here in California. And they had a, a headlining clinician there. And watching some of that same exact work being done, I said, I have no idea what just took place. No idea as far as the nuances of horsemanship. But whatever I just watched, I got to figure that out. I have right. to figure that out. And uh, I kicked it around for a while because... I mean, it's intimidating to go ride with some of these clinicians of that caliber, right? That are, I mean, sure. they're, they're literally world-renowned horsemen. Yeah. And this is what they do, and they've been doing it for decades. And and a friend of ours was the one that kind of pushed me and said, hey, your heart and your head's in the right place. You've got to take a chance and do this. And if we wouldn't have had that conversation that day, we were out to lunch together, uh, I don't even know where I would be because I probably wouldn't have pursued it because I would have talked myself out of it. Yeah, yeah. But. I took that chance, and this is the greatest advice that I can give to anybody who is starting with horses, struggling with horses, trying to get to the next level, whatever, right? Find your greatest horseman, whoever that is in your eyes and in your view of the world and what the industry should be, and go. Find a way to get there because in my experience, and you talked about it, you literally don't know what you don't know. If you haven't seen Absolutely, these horses yeah. work and you haven't seen what an individual can get from a horse or you can see, you don't see the transformation of a horse with your own two eyes, it's literally there's a world out there that you don't you don't even know exists. And we talk yeah. about I mean I mean you can get into any of it, right? Liberty training or reining or cutting or ranching, right? Actually doing cowboy work. And uh it's attainable, but you gotta get exposed to it. And if you've never been exposed to it, how are you gonna hold yourself to that standard? You yeah, know, it's more of a rhetorical yeah. question, but I encourage everybody like get out and ride with the greatest horseman that you think exists 
and just go for the sake of experience. And you will, your eyes will be opened, your heart will be open to a side of the business that you didn't even know existed on any level. It's incredible. Yeah. And from there, yeah. for me personally, it becomes an addiction at that point. You know, a challenge to me. Can I do that? Can I push this? Can I, how many different personalities can I deal with and try to get to the same exact result, right? Of a horse that's, that's well-framed and, and mentally there and mentally engaged and enjoys being around me and things of that sort, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's incredible. And the broken horses is a whole different other topic, right? Yeah. The horses that the people don't want or don't think highly of, uh, in my experience, those are the horses that have the most to give. Without question. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, they've got the farthest to come. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it's the same as people. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more with the fact that, you know, you, starting from starting with someone that already, you know, and, and we're all on a timeline. Some yeah, guys are a lot absolutely. closer, you know, are a lot further along the timeline. And some of us are closer to the to the beginning of the timeline. But we're all there. You know, no one has all the answers. Nobody does because no one's ridden every horse. Yeah. There's too many variables. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, understanding that fact, not being intimidated by other people for one, mm -hmm. um, because I don't know that I've ever met anyone in this industry that wasn't willing. Now, maybe, maybe, you know, they weren't, um, sometimes they weren't approachable enough, but almost always, once you get through the, through those, uh, initial barriers, everybody wants to share information. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I did, you know, I did, I was, I probably went about it the wrong way. And I know that I went a lot of my career, I've gone about it the hard way, you know, just kind of, I've got a hard head and I'm the kind of guy that's like, well, you know, I don't need to learn it from him. I'm just going to figure it out. Yep. You know, I'll just watch him and I'll just figure it out on my own. And it certainly would have been a lot easier except for my, my short stint with, uh, with Mr. Roberts here at Creek Plantation. I, I was pretty much on my own, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, a lot, there are a lot of days that I wished that, that I just would have packed up and, and gone to Texas or Oklahoma and worked for one of these, you know, one of these really established, uh, accomplished trainers. But, but then again, I wouldn't have had the experiences that I did. So, correct. Uh, there's a lot to be said for mentoring or being mentored by someone that's, that, that knows what's going on for sure. Yeah. And there's, uh, I don't know. It's in my experience, you ride with some of these folks and, and if you're a student, like be teachable. Right. You're, you're yeah, paying right. or you're investing your time to go out and learn from this clinician or trainer, whoever it may be, uh, keep your mouth shut and just ride yeah. And, yeah. and do everything that you can. Cause I, there's been times where I've seen people, they'll ask a question to a clinician, right? And then the mm -hmm. student starts interjecting with, well, I think this is the answer. I think that is the answer. And yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. do you not understand? There's yeah. a reason why you're at this clinic. If you had it figured yeah. out, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have to deal right. with it, you know? And, and it's been, with who I have as mentors now in my life, in the world of horsemanship and in the Western business per se, I never, five years ago, never would have dreamed it. Never in a million years would have even been on the radar, not even a target right. to shoot at. And now these people are, are very accessible. And like you talked about, just the willingness to pour in kind of the next generation of cowboy, the next generation of horsemen, it's just... I feel incredibly blessed to be on the receiving end of it. Uh, but after being on the receiving end of it, it, it's equally motivating to find somebody and pass that information on, which is a lot of what this show is about, right? Is yeah. av availing guests as resources to listeners and starting some of those conversations. Because the one thing I think is one of the biggest detriments in the Western world is that 
it's great that we have a lot of this oral history, uh, but you have these varying levels of, of proclaimed experts, and sometimes they don't do business the right way, and sometimes they don't work horses the correct way. Yeah. Um, they've been able to dominate the horses and get the result, but mm-hmm. I think there's a better way to do it now with, with the internet and social media. Uh, there, You have no excuse to not go out and get better at all. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You're hundred percent right there. Yeah. Because all the information is out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. Um, and, and there are, you know, that huge, huge benefits to, to, you know, platforms like YouTube that mm-hmm. where you can go and you can see just about anything that you want to, and you can see it and you can see it being done by several different folks yeah. and in several different situations. One of, what I've found, unfortunately, with a lot of that stuff, and this is, and it's unfortunate for the folks that, that are really looking for good, useful information is that you see a lot. And, and this, and I think this is born of, well, it's always been this way. It's been this way, I guess, ever since, you know, the days of Roy Rogers and the guys that, you know, that wanted to look like the cowboy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying Roy Rogers wasn't a cowboy. Maybe a bad example. Mm-hmm. But a lot of folks want to look like they know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they'll, and they want to throw out tricks out there. Well, look, it's really easy to get your horse to do, you know, to do whatever, to yeah. stop, you know, yeah. pawing at the ground or stop rearing up or stop bucking you off or whatever. And here's one simple little trick that you can do at home to take care of that. And, uh, you and I both know that, that, well, I'll just quote Matlock Rose. I mean, one of the greatest horsemen that ever that ever set the saddle, you know, he said, there's two ways to train a horse. You can use fear or you can use repetition. And, and I believe that. And I think that there, that actually you, most of the time you're using both. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, most of the time folks are using fear. Fear is probably the primary, the primary tool that, and and most folks don't even realize that they're using it. Um, Repetition is less used because it takes you going out there every day, yes. you know, to get something done with your horse. Um, it's the long road. And unfortunately, in our sort of soundbite culture that we live in right now, the long road is not the popular road. Not, and it's not one the, single bit. So, so it, it, I, I'm afraid I feel as if the long road is the road that a lot of people preach, but not so many people take, you know. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Which is unfortunate for the horses, but it's true. But, and, uh, uh, it's funny you mentioned that I had, uh, so my grandfather was kind of my biggest influence, uh, at a young age, introducing me to the kind of the Western deal. Uh, so shortly after I started to pursue this horsemanship thing and really, really, really get into it, he had come out to the house. We had worked the horse a little bit and it was just a visit, right? Didn't really think anything mm-hmm. of it. And, uh, the next time my grandfather comes out, he, he tells me, Hey, can, can we go out front and talk? And he's getting up there in age, right? So I'm thinking, oh crap, here comes some terminal diagnosis or, you know, some, right, some, right. my grandfather's never asked me to talk out in front away from everybody. Like it's just right, not normal. Right. And, uh, so he goes out and he says, you know, I, I've been really watching what you're doing with the horses and, and just seeing what you're getting out of it. And he's like, I wonder if before I go, you could teach me how to be a horseman. Wow. And I sit here like it gives me goosebumps talking about it because <laughs> I don't even see myself as a horseman, right? There's way too much for me to learn to yeah. truly feel that that ownership to the title, right? The respect yeah, yeah. of being a horseman. And uh here is my oh gosh, I think you may be eighty four at the time of this conversation. 
if memory serves me correct. Um, how many horses he's ridden in his line? I mean, I thousands maybe? I don't even know. Yeah, I couldn't even right. put a number on it. Right. And later in the conversation, he goes, I sit here and I watch you work with a horse. And I think back in my career and I think of how many horses I ruined and I feel guilty of it. Like I genuinely wow. feel bad. Man, now you're getting me goosebumps. Right? But I tell him, and this goes back to the whole, you don't know what you don't know thing. Yeah. Like, he didn't go out and purposefully, hey, we're just going to go ruin this horse today. Or we're going to run this thing into the ground. You know, that yeah. was the greatest yeah. thing that they knew at the time. That was how they handled horses. And part of what I'm trying to facilitate with this show and our approach is just that, is it? yes, we're deeply rooted in tradition. Yes, we're deeply rooted in history. But we can't be afraid of change and we can't be afraid to take a chance. Yeah. And in the same in the same exact breath, we have to be forgiving of ourselves because there's tons of stuff that I do every single day. And six months down the road, I will learn what I did today was wrong on some level, right? My timing wasn't right. right. I feel yeah. wasn't right. Uh, I wasn't doing right by the horse, but that can't be... That can't be a discouragement to to walk away from it or not keep trying. It's just we we as human beings owe it to the horse, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, Jason, that's the case with anything that you want to be truly great with, you know. And you know, you be, you're going to 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 see great successes one day as moderate, mediocre successes the next, to maybe even failures at some point. Yeah. Because you're going to progress in the, the thing and, and you're going to learn more. And, you, you know, it's, you know, I always tell people we're not trying to make the horses better. We're trying to make ourselves better. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's Absolutely. what it boils down yes. to. Because if you're not getting better, your horses aren't going to get better. And I don't mean just better at riding and sitting there. I mean better at everything. Yes. You know, deep down, emotionally, in your heart, in your gut, in your head. You know, every fiber and every muscle that you've got and the feel in your fingertips and in the balls of your feet and in your heels and in your butt, everything has to get better. Yeah. And 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 you 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 have to seek it more and more and more every time. And if you're if you if you truly have it in you and it's just like anything, I don't care if it's horses or basketball or mowing the grass or raising kids or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If you truly have that in you and you're being led and God's put that there, he's put that there for a reason, it's going to happen. You're going to seek that, you know, you're going to, you're going to seek, I'm going to use the word perfection, but it's not perfection, but you're going to, you're going to seek excellence with it. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, It's progress. um, You're going to seek the progress, right? You won't be, Yeah. there's not that feeling of content. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and I don't know if, I don't know if horsemanship is, is, if it's exclusive to horsemanship, that feeling of, of never truly being content. Cause it, you know, I, I've never really done much of anything else, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, uh, you, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah. You can't be content with it. Yeah. It was crazy growing up. My dad, uh, I, I didn't get this until later, but uh, I played baseball and never once he always preached to me, right? When you start reading your own articles, you're done. Like if you believe yeah. what the newspaper is saying about how good you think you are, you're yeah. done. And he used to tell me, unless you're standing on that World Series podium and you're holding an MVP trophy, you might be the the best baseball player at that moment. But as soon as the next sunrise comes up, you have a whole nother season to start on. And yeah. I think that approach, for me, it started in baseball. And that's what I did for the lion's share of my early years. That's what's transferred into this horsemanship thing. Like, 
until you can rub elbows with the greatest and the greatest are coming to you to learn and to talk and, 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 and figure things out, then you better get to work. You got to get to work. And I don't know, for me, it's just where I fall short is, is I don't, I personally don't give myself enough credit when a success comes because the way I look at it as if I set out for a goal, you go and achieve it. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, I don't think of it as a quote unquote accomplishment or something that's deserving of a pat on the back. And, uh, it's something that I've tried to work on, not, not to boast or brag when you, when you achieve success, but you know, enjoy it a little bit. Yeah. But it's always been, it's always been seeking the, the, you said perfection. Perfection is what the word that I would use, but I don't think perfection is truly attainable and it's, and it's like clearly defined definition, but I don't know. It's just, there's something about it. There's something about the horse that I'm hungry for the education. And there's so much that the horse provides on so many different levels and disciplines and breeds, uh, parts of the world, right? Cowboy in Australia is different than cowboy in here. And uh, that's, that's the greatest joy for me is now focusing on that pursuit of the process. Yeah. And who knows, maybe, you know, maybe deep down psychologically, what, what all that really means is that that's, we're addicted to that healing, you know? Uh, or something, you know, and that's what, and that's what keeps bringing us back is that feeling of, of, um, you know, the challenge that just keeps you, keeps your mind occupied and it, and it keeps you, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be in decent shape physically Mm -hmm. and you definitely have to have a mental attitude. You have to have a strong mental attitude because there's so much failure that goes along with it so much constantly, you know? And, and, I, and sometimes I think, well, the, the better you want to be, the more you fail, uh, because gosh, some weeks it just feels like you, for me personally, it feels like I can't do anything. Right, yeah. I can't even put my boots on correctly. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and then maybe you just have, you have Gail Steger's got that song, a moment in time. You ever heard that song? I can't say I have. Okay, well, you, you got to listen to him because it's, I mean, he's just an amazing, he's a cowboy and a true cowboy and a poet and mm-hmm. he's got an album. Um, but this song is about, is about how everything is going wrong. Everything's going wrong. And most days he doesn't even feel like getting out of bed, but he keeps doing it because there's that one moment in time when wow. everything comes together. And it's just maybe even just for a couple of minutes, but the sun shines on you and the weather's just right and everything goes just your way. And you live all of those 364 and three quarter days yeah. of the rest of the year, just for that, you know, just for that one quarter of a day or the whatever. Fleeting and, moment, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, and it, it's incredible that we, <laughs> we live our lives because horses don't live their lives like that. You no, know? <laughs> not one single bit. <laughs> you know, no, no, they don't care. <laughs> uh, they, but, I, I tell people, and, and this rings true, like, I do not have enough days on this earth left uh, to ever repay the horse for what they've provided me. It just ain't going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's, they're, they're truly special animals. But I want to kind of segue into your work there at the Creek Plantation. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can give us a brief history, a little bit about the, the plantation, and then your actual roles, what the plantation has to offer the horse world. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, Creek Plantation is uh, – is owned by a fellow named Billy Morris, and uh, he's our boss. Mr. Morris was in the newspaper industry for many, many years, and he, along the along the road, got really – and he grew up with horses. He had a horse when he was a kid, and he just was always fascinated with them. 
And when he became, when he had the financial wherewithal to, to, to start his own ranch, he did here in Martin, South Carolina. And, uh, although he has a lot of other agriculture interests, uh, both in Georgia and South Carolina, Creek Plantation, I believe is his favorite. He, we have about, we're running about 20,000 acres here. Uh, we're building a cow herd. The cow herd has been here for about 30 some odd years, uh, managed by our general manager, Steve Hancock, who is a, a fantastic cow man, one of the best in the industry. And we're pushing up to about 2000 head. I think we're going to, I think we're going to reach about 2000 head next spring. We'll cab that many. Uh, we run anywhere from over the years. I think the, they've had upwards of a hundred broodmares here. Uh, right wow. now, right now we're, we're running at about, and I don't want to bore anybody with a bunch of numbers, but anyway, yeah. we've got plenty, got plenty of horses, <laughs> plenty of horses <laughs> and, and always very, very good bloodlines. Creek is just very well known for having some of the finest bloodlines in the performance horse industry period. And that's, what's always drawn, not only the people, uh, and, and Mr. Morris himself, uh, who, who I admire greatly, uh, the bloodlines and the horse, the quality of the horse flesh here on Creek plantation is what's always drawn me to it. It's just, it's just amazing. You know, from, uh, take her age, Jen and smart little Lena and shorty Lena and, and now Boone Too Soon and uh, an unsung highbrow cat and in Cataloo, we stand horses at the four sixes. We stand horses here. We have some outstanding broodmares. And just just uh, that to me is and, – and it's, and it's truly unique in the southeast. you got to go a long way to get to where you find horses of this quality mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. South Carolina. You know, we're down here. We're along the Savannah River. We're in essentially, we're just outside the low country. The tip of, of the southern part of our ranch reaches into the, what they call the low country, which is almost at sea level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hot. There's tons of bugs. You know, <laughs> we don't get any snow, thank goodness, but, but it's not really what you would think of when you think, you know, cow horses. Yes. But buddy, we've got them. We've got them. Some of the best in the industry. And I'm just very proud to be associated with the ranch. And it's been here since about the 1960s. Uh, we have very nice facilities. And um, we're fairly remote for the southeast. You know, we're probably about, well, we're about 50 miles from any significant civilization. And we're about 15 miles um, from a very small town down the road here. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Creek's a, it's very unique. It is a very unique operation for sure. Are your horses featured in a sale every year? How are you providing horses to the community? Are, I mean, a lot of private sale going on? or Okay, so we we have essentially two classes of horses. We have what we consider to be high-value horses, which are, which are horses that will be sired by the top sires in the industry from Metallic Cat and Highbrow Cat, Boone Too Soon, Cataloo, um, Once in a Blue Boone, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Sandman, all of the high-end stallions. And we breed those stallions to mares. Some of the mares we own and some of the mares are leased. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll purchase embryos out of some of the top mares in the industry. And then we, we, all of those foals, all of those embryos are put into recipient mares and then we fold them here on the ranch. And then those foals, the, the top end of those foals will be sold as yearlings in the bloodstock sale during the NCHA Futurity in December every year. And then, 
from there, we'll sort of, let's just say we're, we're talking about quality of sales. We'll step down from there and we'll, we'll probably sell a group, um, in Oklahoma City at the Triangle sale this fall. There's always the Augusta sale during the Augusta Futurity that we'll sell, uh, eight or 10 head. Um, we've been invited to the Colorado State University Legends of Ranching sale for uh, April of 2021. So we're going to, oh, looks cool. like we're going to, yeah, it looks like we're going to put a couple of yearlings in there next year. And then, of course, we always sell, um, heck, we sell a good many horses off of Facebook. No uh, kidding. We'll sell a, yeah, we'll sell weanlings that way. And it's a great, it's a great outlet for us. Um, William Morris V, who is Mr. Morris's grandson, is really good with social media and he's had a lot of success with that. Um, he's really interested in the horse program and he's had a ton of influence over what we're doing these days. And, uh, it's really neat to have him involved. But, uh, so we like to sell weanlings that way. And then, and of course we've got a great reputation with the uh, team ropers and the, and the sorters and the barrel racers, uh, in our area. Mm-hmm. And we'll sell a, a lot of our ranch horses that way, you know, folks will just walk up and, and, uh, or, or call me and whenever we've always got a waiting list. Yeah. Whenever I have something come up for sale, all we have to do is pick up the phone and we can sell them. No problem. That's incredible. That's incredible. Especially yeah. that many horses. Yeah. We have, we've got, we're, we're fitting four horses right now to go to the bloodstock sale for 2020. Uh, and hopefully they have the darn sale. Um, and then we're getting about, uh, I think we're fitting about eight more and we're talking about yearlings, about eight more head, um, for either the triangle sale in November or the Augusta sale in January. We haven't decided exactly where they're going yet. Mm-hmm. And then we'll keep about another, we'll keep about another 15 or 16 to start under saddle as two-year-olds and we'll keep them on the ranch both we'll you know we like to to keep our broodmares under saddle for at least one year i prefer two years i don't always get two years to get mm-hmm. them broke mm-hmm. before we before we promote them to broodmare um but we always make sure that those those broodmares suit us as using horses before we decide to breed them you know we want to make sure that they're the right kind before we put them into our ranch mare program so i think it's most commendable too because you're understanding that temperament, the abilities of that horse, right? And, and the stock yeah. that's going to come from it. I mean, so many people solely rely on genetics, but don't ever yeah. put that horse to use. And it's like, yeah, yeah. it's tough, right? Because genetics puts you at a statistical, I guess, a higher probability of having those successes. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's genetics. There's unknowns and, and there's things yeah. that don't work out. So for you guys to try to put those extra miles under saddle, yeah. before those broodmares are, 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 are labeled such is, is most commendable. Well, you know, it just doesn't stand to reason to breed something that's not broke. Yeah. Um, the performance, the performance industry would never stand for that. Yeah. You know, the performance industry is not going to breed. You're not going to spend, you know, anywhere from three to twenty thousand dollars plus to to line up a breeding and get you know a live foal on the ground if the mare didn't do anything in Bruce, her career. Yeah. So so why would we? put up with that in the ranch horse industry. I want to make sure that our ranch mares have proven themselves. Um, not only that, but it gives them a chance to pay us back for some of, some of the money that we put into them to get them to that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, we key. use them on, yeah, that's right. We use them on the ranch, you yes, know, and we, yes, we put them to the test and we put miles on them and, and we let the kids ride them and we let guests ride them and we, you know, we rope on them outside and we calve on them and, and uh, all of the things that a good ranch horse ought to know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually established um, 10 criteria that I want to make sure that every one of our horses, before they leave here, either they go into our broodmare band 
or if they are sold or, or even if they stay here uh, for long term as a pleasure horse, I have these 10 criteria and I call it the 10 commandments of a good ranch horse. Mm-hmm. And I make sure that all these horses know these things. And these are just the baseline things that unfortunately are really hard to find in most of the horses out there in the industry. But, but these are the 10 baseline um, skills that I require all of these horses to have before they promote onto either the sales string or the broodmare band. Um, and, you know, it, I feel like setting criteria, making lists and those sorts of things whenever you're dealing with these horses, well, it gives you a, uh, it gives you a standard yes. to hold them to, yes. you know? Um, and if a horse has a weakness in one of these areas, well, she's going to raise a baby nine times out of 10, she's going to raise a baby that has a weakness in one of those areas. And so, and I'm not saying that that horse can't have a future somewhere. It definitely can. I mean, there are plenty of places that these horses can go and have very, you know, long quality, fulfilling lives mm-hmm. with people and make those people very happy. Yeah. But they just won't make a broodmare for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's great because so. how much of this, how much of this industry is just unregulated? You know, yeah. as far as, oh, as yeah. far as the sale of horses, right? Yeah, um, yeah. There's no real benchmark or standard or, you know, if they say a horse right. is quote unquote cowy, okay, well, what does that mean? Right. But yeah. but to give yourself these 10 commandments in which you lay a foundation, a standard to hold a horse to, it's just a great way to honestly and fairly assess all the horses coming through. It yeah. provides more confidence when you're, when you're foaling these horses out that, hey, this is where we're at and this is where this foal is probably going to come out. Uh, it's just... I don't know. I think it's a lot. It's a much needed aspect of the industry. It is, you know, and, 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 and what else it does is when we, when we go to sell a saddle horse, people are going to know what they can expect from us. They already know that they can expect premium genetics. Correct. You know, an outstanding confirmation. But what this is going to do is this is going to add the third and final element that's going to add a premium to our horses, which is the fact that this is a genuine, authentic, real deal broke ranch horse and he's going to fulfill all of his duties hopefully probably without fail depending on the situation you know as long as you handle him just right um and and don't allow him to get away with too much he's going to have the foundation to go out there and do whatever you want him to do you know um now you know a horse like that's not turned out in a month (laughs) and they're not turned out even in six months or a year i like to have two years you know, I was taught that it takes a year to get a horse broke. And I think I really feel like that it takes at least two full years to get a horse seasoned, you know, where they're good and solid. So, mm-hmm. so that's where I get the two year benchmark from. Richard, if you don't mind, can we go through some of those, those commandments and, and the 10 foundations that you instill in a horse or look for in a horse uh, to really get a clear definition of where that horse is at in development? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, this is what I call the 10 commandments for the well-broke ranch horse. And, um, of course I, uh, I used uh, King James phraseology <laughs> since I started. <laughs> Rather fitting. Since I, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like the King James, so I, you know, I threw it in there, maybe just for you know artistic flair. I don't know, yeah. but anyway, I'll, uh, I'll. So I'll just go down through them. Okay, one through yeah. ten. Yeah. Number one, thou shalt stand quietly to be haltered, led freely, and pull neither on the lead or the post. Okay. So, and there are rabbit holes that you can go down for each one of these. And you know, it's funny because you uh, say it, I mean, we start with the first one, right? It sounds like a simple task, but to get a horse to do that confidently and willingly yeah. is a challenge. It, no doubt. Yeah. Stand quietly, yeah. lead freely, and, and don't pull on the on the lead rope or on the post when you're tied. You know, that's yep. there aren't a lot of horses out there that'll do that, yeah. you know, 100%. I agree. 
So, number two, thou shalt accept the saddle and bridle without resistance. Number three, thou shalt stand perfectly still to be mounted and give no fight to the farrier. Number four, thou shalt keep thine rear end on the ground at all times. <laughs> I like in parentheses, it. In parentheses, front end too. <laughs> <laughs> thou shalt travel straight and freely at the gate desired and over or through any obstacle. That's commandment number five. Commandment number six, thou shalt stop on woe and the rain and turn on thine hindquarters. Another another challenge there that uh, yeah. that you don't see a lot of horses yeah. stepping up to. Number seven, thou shalt track and rate cattle on thy own. Number eight, thou shalt not booger at the flag or the rope. Number nine, thou shalt ground tie in open gates. And number 10, thou shalt never, in all caps, graze while working. I'll tell you, uh, when I first started to get back into competing, right, and in that mm-hmm. early pursuit of getting back into team roping uh, and then transitioning into horsemanship, the the ranch horse, in my opinion, has now become the benchmark of all things great. I mean, yeah. we talked about those Ten Commandments right there. Mm-hmm. To get all of them proficiently in a horse is a big big deal. It's incredible to, to be able to have a horse that can confidently do everything that you just described in those 10 commandments. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're hundred percent right. There's no doubt about it. And, and when you, but when you think about it and when you break it down and, you know, it took me a course of, of a few years to, to really refine this and I still refine it all the time. I mm-hmm. change it from time to time, but these are the essential skills or qualities that every decent horse should have. And you, and you, and the reason that I am confident that we can do this in each one of our horses, because there's nothing on this list that a horse can't do on their own without training. Correct. You, they can just do, and most of these things they do on their own when they're, when they're not being messed with, you know, they know mm-hmm. how to stand quietly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they yeah. know how to turn around yeah. their hindquarters, you know, Um, so, so none of these things really, you know, they shouldn't take a whole ton of training, particularly if your program is set up to, to uh, encourage all these things along and along as you go. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's hard to find a horse that know all that. And that's, that's why, that's why we want, we want good breeding. We want outstanding confirmation and we want our horses to have at least these 10 skills right here. And it it goes back, it circles back to what we talked about beginning of the show as far as I mean, when we work with horses and try to better our horses, we're really trying to better ourselves. What you described in those horses being able to do them on their own is absolutely correct. However, we need, we as a human being need to effectively communicate to that animal what our expectation is and do it with a fair shake, a fair hand. Yeah. You know, to to give you an example of being able to do things on their own, and I'm always trying to teach people this, and they, they look at me really strangely when I tell them this, but Let's just talk about your team roper. So let's talk about tracking and rating cattle for one. Mm-hmm. For one. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll spend a lot of time just tracking and rating cattle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of your listeners may not know what that means, but track means that go, it means to go wherever the cow goes and rate means to go at the same speed as the cow, mm-hmm. right? So you want it to go wherever it goes at the same speed. Well, I tell folks, you know, we don't have to teach our horses how to track and rate. They don't. They're born knowing how to track and rate. The horse that every horse that you sit on was tracking and rating its mama the day that it hit the ground. Yeah, you're right. They already know how to do it. All we have to do is present it in a way that they can understand it, and they'll do it. Yeah. 
so, and, and that's just one example. Each of these things, like I said, standing quietly and turning on their hindquarters and all those sorts of things, they already know how to do them. All we have to do is get inside their head and communicate to them. First of all, we have to inspire them to do what we're asking them to do. That's a big thing right there. Oh, it's huge, man. Staying out of, and basically what they did is staying out of their way. Yeah. You know, because it's so easy to confuse a horse and to confound them and, and, and to make them give up. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Unfortunately, what I see most in the, in the when I help people with their horses, and they're truly having struggles with their horses, usually it's their horses just giving up because they've tried and tried and tried for so long to do what the person's asking, but the rider just doesn't have the skills doesn't to let them the be. Information. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so, and so we if we can inspire them to do what we're asking them to do, and then get out of their way and let them do it, man, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. They'll do it. Mm-hmm. So. uh and if you, you know, if we could all just set our sights on these 10 commandments right here, and, and some people may want to have 11 commandments, they may want to have eight commandments, they may want to, you know, refine this and distill this down to something else. But but these are the ones that we look for. And, and I don't want any horse that's under saddle leaving my program without at least having these things in their foundation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and if it's an older horse, it's going to be 100% on these 10 things. It's awesome. I think it's great. It's great. It's a very clearly defined right. benchmark. It's a great standard. Uh, it's yeah. adoptable, right? Anybody can instill this in their own program and, and start to develop it, but you're going to get a consistent, honest product. Yeah. Or at least work for yeah. it, you know? That's for darn yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all going to be obviously at, at different levels on all these, you know, on things, but we're not talking about, you know, you don't have to take a cow down the fence. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't have to, you know, Make run in relative. there and. That's right. That's yeah, right. Make it relative. We're just talking. Yep. Yep. So, you know, we, if you, if you got a horse that can do this, you can take him and put him in whatever discipline you want and mm-hmm. then add, add your, you know, put your extras on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Obviously previous guests of ours, uh, are the folks over at 310 Ranch Life. Uh, it was an incredible episode. They obviously recommended you as a guest. I would like to kind of talk about your guys' relationship and kind of how that was developed because uh, two separate outfits, but but definitely founded in in a common core of values and horses and horsemanship. Uh, and I guess you could even throw stockmanship in there in there as well. Yeah, for sure. John John is uh, John Darnell and Joni Darnell, uh, the husband and wife team that run Three Ten Ranch Life, are near and dear friends, um, and we've we've just. Uh, gone through the last 20 some odd years together, uh, either mostly over the phone. Honestly, we spend a lot of time talking on the phone and exchanging ideas and, and sharing our lives, uh, both with our families and, and, um, you know, personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, John and I met through some interesting circumstances. We, when I was about 30 years old, I, I, uh, or a little, little younger than that, maybe I decided that I, was just going to be a proficient saddle bronc rider. You know, I was going to hit the rodeo circuit and, and hopefully make it to the NFR one day. And I know that's a little late in life, but hey, that's how I operate. Yeah, if you're going to go, you know? go. <laughs> that's right. So, so I decide that I'm going to go to a, a rodeo school, uh, one of Lyle Sankey's deals. Yeah. And so I, I, I jump in the, in the truck and, and head up, head up for this rodeo school up at, uh, up here in Rome, Georgia is where it was. And, you know, Lyle's days, uh, Lyle's school is a three day deal. And Friday, you get to meet everybody and you kind of get your equipment set up. And then Friday afternoon, you get on a couple of horses. And of course, you get, you know, thrown on your head a few times. And, and Friday night, you're feeling all gassed up and juicy and thinking you're a real bronc rider. And then, and then on Saturday, 
you just get on horse after horse, you know, <laughs> and, and I guess they figure that, that come Sunday, if you're still hanging around come Sunday, then maybe you got a chance at this, right? We might be able to make something so, work. That's right. That's right. So, so on my first go round on Friday, everything went really good. And then on Saturday morning, everything re- went really good. And I think I probably got on six or seven bucking horses on Jeez. Saturday morning. And, uh, I was, I was in good shape and I was feeling really good. And we went to lunch and, uh, we came back from lunch and I got down on a horse and everything felt okay. And the horse was a, it was a left-hand delivery horse. He came out and he made a right-hand turn across the pin and about 15 feet from the edge of the pin, he set up and stopped and fired off really hard and shot me out the front, out the front door there. And I slammed into the arena wall with my face and my left elbow. And, uh, and I must have been operating off of, of adrenaline or something. So I jump up and I take off running and everybody says, you okay? You okay? Yeah. I said, you know, I'm fine. No problem. And, uh, and I get over to the, to the side of the arena there and my arm was kind of tingling and I felt a bit and it, my arm was broken for sure. There was no question oh, about it. Gosh. I could tell just by yeah. holding it. And about that time, you know, everything starts swimming. You know, I, I see double and cause I hit the thing with my face and, and, uh, make a long story short, I, I couldn't find anybody really to volunteer to take me to the, to the hospital. I needed to go to the hospital pretty bad. I tried to drive myself. That, that was a bad, that was a really bad deal. I ended up having to hitchhike back to the, I couldn't drive cause I was seeing double. I had to hitchhike back to the arena, get back to the arena. And I'm, I'm sitting in the corner in a heat there, just trying to figure out what in the heck I'm going to do. And this guy strolls over and he says, Hey, you all right? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, get up. I'm taking you to the hospital. And I was like, ah, that's all right. I'll make it, you know? Yeah. I'm <laughs> and good. he wouldn't take no, this guy wouldn't take no for an answer, you know? And, uh, and so, uh, he takes me to the hospital and him and, and, uh, his cousin Peter and, and, uh, another friend of his name, Coleman, they take me to the hospital and ended up being John and John stayed with me. They fixed me up and he stayed with me and he got my number before I left. And he called me a couple of days later to check up on me. And then he called me a couple of days later after that, to check up on me. And, uh, shortly thereafter, we ended up moving and I went to work for the Bartlett Ranch. And it just so turned out that John was just a few miles from us. And we just hit it off and became fast friends. And John has carried me through some of the toughest times of my life, uh, as a friend. He's just an outstanding individual. Yeah. Him and his, him and his family and Dalton, his son, it's just really amazing to see Dalton come into their business now. And John's gone through, he is, the guy's really, really paid his dues in the industry. He's one of the most amazing and talented stockman and horseman that i've ever been around and just a really really good all-around guy and i i really i want to plug their business just because i love him so much and i want to see him succeed you guys go and, and buy your ropes at 310 ranch life you won't buy from a better company i guarantee you and i was going to um, say so, i mean talking about dalton's work and the subscription <clears throat> service and things of that sort of the video content that yeah. they put out riding horses oh, yeah. and uh yeah. if you have any interest in horsemanship or stockmanship uh, it's not going to take you but about 45 seconds into your first 310 Ranch Life video to uh, be bit by the bug. I mean, they just come up with some incredible yeah. content. And yeah. and really, yeah. I mean, the, the care of the animals is demonstrated in, in the video. I mean, that's your chance to see it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely special stuff. So that actually provides a great segue. As we wrap every show, uh, first I'd like to give you the opportunity or give the guest the opportunity to uh, – 
inform listeners how they can better follow you. So if you could explain maybe websites, social media handles, things of that sort, where people can consume more of either the Creek Plantation or what you have going on okay. via YouTube and the different channels. Yeah, so we've got, uh, of course, Low Country Cowboys on YouTube. Uh, it's our it's our video series that we put out. Um, you can see what our life looks like uh, here at Low Country Cowboys. It's produced by myself and Mark Albertson. Um, you can go, you can follow us also on Facebook at, uh, low country cowboys. You can follow us on Instagram at low country cowboy. And then, um, of course, uh, I've got a personal Facebook page. Folks are, you know, uh, welcome to, uh, send firm requests or whatever, however that works. I'm not, I'm not a social media (laughs) guru, but I know all of those things exist and I'm happy to, uh, (laughs) to associate with with you. If you could could find me, I'll respond. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. That's exactly it. Yep, yep. Send me a message, and it may not be right away, but just be patient. Um, yes, sir. You know, I always try to sit down at least, you know, once or twice a month and respond to most of the messages that I get. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it. You know, we're it's not very hard to find us. You can look up Creek Plantation on Facebook, and uh, we have a we have a, a website in in process right now for Creek Plantation. So you, pretty soon you'll be able to see all of our stallions, all of our horses for sale, all of our broodmares. Uh, you'll see some profiles on our team and some and some pictures of the outfit and the, the landscape. And uh, so, yeah, go to go to six 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 ranch dot com and see our stallions that we stand there. Um, and uh, gosh, I think I hit all of them there, Jason. I'm I'm not really sure. That's pretty encompassing. I I could not do that. If somebody would have asked me the same question, I would not have been able to provide that. That yeah, I really, I really need a list. So, I was going to say, yeah, just yeah. keep it on the back of your phone or something so you can turn it over right. and have a list of everything. But uh, as we yeah. wrap every show, I like to ask a question uh, around okay. freedom, right? And we're focusing, trying to provide value to individuals. So in your personal professional experience, you know, obviously life has thrown challenges at you. What is maybe a life skill set that, that you've had to overcome a challenge? And, and what advice would you give somebody who might be couple miles behind you down the trail facing that same circumstance or that same season of life. Wow, man, we could go on for days. You know, my, the thing that I always go back to is just, is just show up yeah, and work every day at yeah. what you love. Yeah. You know, there, it's, it's so easy to get frustrated and it's so easy to get distracted. I really struggle with distractions and I always have, you know, I could be, I could be sitting on a horse and working on one thing or, or with my family. Uh, it, there's so many parallels there. Um, but, but avoiding those distractions and staying focused and showing up every day and doing the work, it's going to be hard to keep a positive mental attitude every day. It's almost impossible. I mean, you must be some kind of a Superman if you can do yeah, that because I can't do it. I can't do it, but show up, stay focused. Try not to get distracted. And if you do get distracted, have something to bring you back to the center, whatever that is, you know. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's it, man. Show up. Get up. Show up. Don't give up. I love that's, it. I love it. Well, I'll tell you what, Richard. I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule and visiting with us here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast. And we wish you the best of luck out there at the Creek Plantation and all your endeavors with uh, Low Country. And if there's anything that we can do to help support you and anything you got going, uh, you have my number. Do not hesitate to uh, reach out and we'll we'll see what we can do for you. Well, it goes both ways. Thank you so much, Jason. I just, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and inviting me on the show. And and uh, I, you hold so much value for every, for all of your listeners and and I'm going to do what I can to promote you. So I sure appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you down the road. Yeah. All right, buddy. Take Bye-bye. care. 
Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. And Reign is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation at a cost less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.